So, there we are, Acts chapter 3. If you remember this up between Christmas and Easter, we're going through Acts, and we're looking at the first ten chapters of Acts, um, and we're now at uh, chapter 3. Last week, <clears throat> if you were here, you would have heard Esther Matthews speaking on Acts 2 and Pentecost. Um, now we're moving on to this story uh, of Peter and, and John healing this lame man at the temple gate in Jerusalem that's called Beautiful. And it's our first opportunity to see the church in action, the post-Pentecost church in action. The disciples who've been there at Pentecost have realised now what they've received at Pentecost. They've realised the spirit of Christ in them and for them in the world. And they start to use that gift for God's glory. So as I say, this is almost like the first act of the apostles, the post-Pentecost apostles. Now, hopefully, there we go, we've got some cartoons for you today. The, uh, hopefully to, to, to set the scene. And it's interesting, you move from Pentecost across to this little narrative we have in, in chapter 3. And, you know, from Pentecost and all the crowds and all the people, we move to a much more personal narrative. You know, we have Peter, we have got John, and we've got this, this crippled man. So it's a much more intimate narrative. And it's actually <clears throat> one of those passages that contains one of my favourite Bible verses. When people say, what's your favourite Bible verse? I normally say to them, well, there's too many. You know, it's not, you just can't do that. But there's one I, I do love, and it's this one. It's verse 6 of this reading. When Peter says to the crippled man, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have, I give you. And I just think that's a brilliant verse. And I think it's a brilliant verse for our personal attitude before God. You know, I, I bring almost nothing, you know, but what I have, you know, I guess. Uh, but it's actually a very good attitude towards one another. You know, in Jesus' name, especially when we're reaching out into the world, you know, we don't actually feel we have everything we need. We don't, certainly don't have lots of silver and gold or whatever. But what we have, which is our relationship with Jesus Christ, we give. And it's there to be given away. I think we can spend so much time in our church life wishing on stars, hoping for things, um, looking for things that we don't have. Oh, if only we had. If only we had. If only we had. And we can fail to recognise what we already possess. The riches that have been bestowed upon us in Christ. And I think we need to really almost, looking at this passage this morning, you know, it almost takes us back to reminding us we need to both recognise what we have received and then put it into, into practice. Use what we have rather than waiting for what we don't yet have. And I think so often as Christians, and I'm pointing at this as myself as much as anybody, by the way, is we, we sometimes can be quite poor at trusting in God's word, which assures us again and again of the riches that we do have in Christ. The Apostle Paul in his letters regularly speaks about the riches we have received in Christ. Riches that are not dependent on our merit or our personal worthiness, but purely because of the grace of God the amazing grace of God. Ephesians 3 and verse 8, Paul says, although I'm the least of people, the least of God's people, he describes himself as, this grace was given to me still to preach 
to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. We talk so easily and freely in Christian churches about the grace of God. And yet so often we seem to fail to put it into practice when it's about giving it out in our life and our witness. So if we look at this, this passage this morning, I'm, I'm going to pick on three verses in particular, which are up there, actually, that's great. Um, the first one is verse 4, where Peter says to this crippled man, look at me. Okay, and I'm just going to try and draw some, a couple of things out of that. Verse 6 is back to my favourite verse, what I have, I give you. And then the last one picks up on this man's joy-filled witness and sees what we can actually pick up and learn from that. Together, these verses describe, as I said, the first act of the apostles. They're no longer men just looking out for their own personal interests, as they often were when Jesus was alive on earth. They would seem to be spending quite a bit of time scrapping amongst one another, trying to decide who was going to be the greatest. They were no longer there. They were no longer there. They were men working together, sharing the gift, the riches that they had so powerfully received on that day of Pentecost, which is only a, probably a day or two earlier, by the way. So they haven't hung around that long. You know, they're already out in the world. They haven't gone, well, that's nice, receive that spirit, and now we'll have another training course. And uh, we'll get back to it here after that. So the first verse is this little look at me uh, piece, which struck me again when I was reading, and I just wanted to draw that a little bit. So one day, Peter and John, they're going up to the temple at the time of prayer. It's three in the afternoon. And a crippled man uh, who's been crippled at birth is carried, being carried to this temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Um, it, it opens describing a very everyday event. It's quite clear Peter and John are still uh, following uh, the Jewish routine of daily prayer and therefore they're on the way to the temple at the appropriate time of day. And it's a temple around which lots of poor people and lame people are gathered, the sick gather, outcasts of society in many ways, people who had to beg them for a living, but people who also knew that the giving of alms was an important part of the Jewish faith, as I hope we recognise it is an important part of the Christian faith. And because they recognise that, well, there's no better place to be than outside a temple. Surely people going to church on a Sunday morning are going to be a bit more mindful of this aspect of their worship. But then verse 4 reads like this. Peter looked straight at this man, as did John, and he says to him, look at us, look at us. So the man gives them his attention, expecting to get some money from them. Now, I imagine that lame man must have glanced in the direction of the apostles when he first asked for money, just as any street beggar might. But I guess having done so, maybe he just dropped his gaze, used, no doubt, to people ignoring him and just walking by as though he was invisible. But Peter and John do the complete opposite. We're told they looked straight at him. They gave him their full attention. They did not treat him as some poor beggar on the street, looking at him with disdain, but they recognised the image of God in every human being. And they look at him, recognising his uniqueness. It's so easy, isn't it? We, even in places like Godalming, which is a wealthy town by and large, 
you know, people you know, sit on the street sometimes. It's very easy to walk by and pretend they're not there and maybe they might go away or someone might move them on next time. I think it's a very intriguing detail that Luke includes in this verse. And it reminded me, as I read it, of how Jesus used to do the same thing. Often in the Gospels, you see Jesus approaches people, and regardless of how of their condition, how maybe poor their, their state is, he looks at them, he gives them their, his full attention. The Gospels, as I say, are full of examples where Jesus, we're told, looked at people. Even before engaging with them, really, he looked at them, he saw them. And he saw them because he wants them to see him as well. There's an honesty in that exchange. He's not pretending they're not there or he doesn't quite like how they look. And he sees them. And that is really important. Jesus does that. And I believe in this passage, we're seeing an example of Peter and John doing something similar really looking at the individual before they really engage him. And I think they do that because they want to engage with him in a very honest and open way. You know, we have in our society, it does vary a bit in culture, different cultures, but we have in our society where if people avoid your gaze, you get suspicious. You wonder, what are they up to? You know, what they really mean, what are they saying? And I think there's something of that going on here as well. You know, Peter and John look at this man because they want him to know that what they're going to tell him is real, it's true, and they can rely on it. And the first thing they, he wants, they, what Peter wants to tell him is actually bad news. Because we're told in the end of chapter 2 that the, the apostles had pulled all their resources. So they didn't have any spare cash because they put it into a communal pot. So the first thing Peter has got to tell this, this, this man is that he ain't got no money. That's the bad news. Right? And he wants a man to know that he's being honest. Not that, he, oh, you know, I didn't bring anything with me today. You know, it's, it's an honesty. He genuinely doesn't have any money. But I think he wants that rapport and that honesty because he also wants the beggar to receive the next part of what he says, the good news of Peter's message, in a similar way, with equal integrity and truth. Despite having no money, Peter knew that money was not really what the man needed most. He needed salvation of his soul, healing of his body, which neither, which money cannot provide. And then that brings us to this little verse. Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. He takes him by the right hand, he helps him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles become strong. Peter is saying, I don't have silver and gold, honestly I don't. But what I do have, I, I give you, honestly, I give it to you. And what does he give it? What is, what's he giving? In one sense, he's got nothing, he's a poor man himself. He's giving him the relationship with Jesus. He's giving, him, he's, he's giving out of the riches of the, he, that he has personally received. And it is in the, in the power of the name of Jesus the beggar receives his healing. But the Pope's Pentecost Peter knew who he was in Christ through the presence of the Spirit. And although he'd only recently received this anointing, one or two days previously, 
he had recognized it, and he was ready already. Is it ready already? Yes, already, already ready. That's what he sounds a bit better. Uh, to give the gift away to others as well. Peter, in that sense, is a newborn Christian. You know, he wasn't a Christian, you know, before the Pentecost. When the, the, the Spirit comes upon him, he is a newborn Christian. And it is from that spiritual birth he realizes he is blessed to be a blessing himself. And that's a wonderful thing about the gift of the Holy Spirit, isn't it? We're called to receive from God, in Christ, the Spirit. But then we're also called to give the Spirit away, to let the Spirit flow through our lives into the lives of others, to share him. It's like having something, you know, we've got a cup of something to drink, you know, share the cup. To let others drink of this living, living spring of water, a spring that does not run dry. I always think as Christians we're a bit like uh, cisterns, you know, water tanks. And I think we've, we fill ourselves up and then we think, well, that's all right, I'm okay. But in actual fact, you know, I think we're more like the, the, the water tank, which we need to, it needs to flow out to other people and God makes sure it gets topped up again. Um, and maybe another analogy I, I tend to think of it's like a clay pipe. You know, we like clay pipes. You know, it's a, it's a fairly crude, base, crude basic material. It's nothing special, right? But through it, you know, the, water, the living water can still flow as God so chooses that it should. In John's Gospel, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within them. And by this he meant the spirit from whom those who believed in him were later to receive. It's, a, it's, a, it's the perfect example of what I have, I give you. You know, I mean, to me, that's a, that's a wonderful Christian motto, isn't it? What I have, I give you. A stream of living water in Peter flowing to another thirsty soul. Another pauper, another cripple, another person who needs far more than money can ever purchase. This little story here in Acts is a wonderful narrative that sums up the whole story of salvation in many ways. And it applies, I think, to any who would follow, come to Christ and follow Christ. The man was born lame. But we are also, in one sense, born lame because none of us are born able to walk in a perfect way to please God in all we do. In our father Adam and the fall, that lameness, as it were, has been passed on to his descendants. But this man was also born poor. Just as we sinners are bankrupt before God, unable to pay the tremendous debt that we owe him. And we're told also that initially this man was outside the temple. Just as all sinners are separated from God, no matter how near the door they might be. So I think the experience of this lame man is our experience too. It is a narrative of God's saving grace in action, the love of God the Father expressed in the Son and placed in the heart of every believer through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Peter knew that in a worldly sense, he had nothing really to give. 
he was a poor man himself, but he knew he was rich in Christ, and it was out of those riches that he gave so that this man, this lame man, might become like him, rich in Christ as well. Peter didn't heal that lame man. God healed him, acting through him. Peter was just a man, but one willing to share the undeserved grace of God that he had received with another poor soul. As I said a bit earlier, in church we can so often wish and wonder and wait for things we don't have and fail to recognise what we do have. And the danger is, when we do that, if we fail to recognise what God has already done and we spend our days waiting, delaying and wishing away our days, but also missing the opportunities that are being placed before us. So the last little point was going to come around the joy-filled witness. So we learn from the scripture that Peter gave this lame man what he had and the man we're told is so happy and so excited at what he's received he almost acts in a childlike way walking, jumping, praising God. And when the people see him walking and praising God, they recognise him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. This first act of the apostles is a vivid illustration of what salvation feels like, though so often over time we seem to forget it. For the lame man, his response was one of absolute delight. He hadn't received a penny from Peter or John, but he had received something far, far greater, the realisation of which made him almost fall over himself in praise and worship. His delight, his joy is transparent, it's obvious to the world, and he attracts a a crowd of onlookers, a crowd to which Peter, later in this chapter, has the opportunity to speak and share the gospel message. Again, that's why I come back to that Isaiah 35 passage, the joy of the redeemed. As I read this verse, this verse 8 in Acts chapter 3, and I very much come back to that Isaiah 35 reading. And the verse 5 of that says, their eyes will be opened, their ears will be unstopped, and they will leap up like deer, and their mute tongues will shout for joy. It's a passage I've occasionally used pastorally when I've been working with people who I feel seem to have lost something of this joy of the Lord. And it's a passage I'd refer you back to yourselves if you feel you identify with that as well. I think it's so important we don't forget the joy we have in Christ because it fuels our Christian witness. You know, some people seem to think they need to be technically expert in some way to witness for Christ. You know, they feel they need a course, you know. But actually what they need is the joy of the Lord, because it is that joy that naturally fuels the conversation. You know, we have something we want to share, and therefore we share it respectively in that way. Our joy in Christ should be something that naturally overflows, just as it did for this lame man, walking, jumping, praising God as he entered the temple courts. 
He was no longer a cripple, an outsider, but a, by grace of God, one made whole in body and soul. Now that he could stand, there was no question where he stood. We're told in this, in this Acts chapter 3 that this all occurred at the beautiful gate. And it got me just thinking about that image of the gate, and it seems a wonderful uh, image. The gate of salvation found in Christ Jesus is certainly the most beautiful of gates any of us can ever enter. Jesus used similar sort of words. He said, he said to some people, he said, I'll tell you the truth, I am the gate. I am the gate for the sheep. Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief came only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and they may have life to the full. For this beautiful gate, the gate of salvation, through which the lame man's whole life has been changed. Simply through the willingness of two men, two young Christians, who recognised that they had received what they had received and were willing to share it with another lost soul. So what can we do to draw finally back together from that? Um, as always, you know, we're reading stories that are very ancient, but the question is, so what? And what does it mean for me today? Well, I think first thing is it reminds us of the power of the name of Jesus. Something we sometimes seem to forget, especially when we try and live our Christian lives in our own strength. You know, if you get to rely on God, then suddenly life can seem very dry and empty. There is power in the name of Jesus. There was power in the name of Jesus and there remains power in the name of Jesus. But it also hopefully reminds us about this joyful witness. We are called to be joyful witnesses. Yes, the Christian life at times can seem like a burden, but it's a burden we bear with joy. It's a contagious witness. If you feel that you've lost sight of that, maybe I can just advise you in your own quiet time to just take stock of it, to refresh and remind yourself what you have received in Christ. To do that, obviously, with God's word and with Christian friends, if that is helpful. If we're unclear about what we have received, we will be unclear about what we share. Simple as that. And if you find yourself in that place and you really know what to do, then come and have, have a chat with me. Come and have a chat with me. I'd be very happy to see if I can just help you uh, sort of rekindle and regrasp that joy. The passage reminds us of the riches that we have received in Christ. And it also reminds us these are the riches that others are still waiting for. So we all need to learn from Peter. Peter's whose simple example was, what I have, I give you. We're going to sing a song in a little bit, um, after our prayers. And it's that simple little song, Jesus, what can I give, what can I bring? To so faithful a friend, to so loving a kin, 
Saviour, what can be said, what can be sung as a praise to your name for the things you have done? Oh, my words can't even tell. They can't, not even in part, of the debt of love that is owed by this thankful heart. And when we come to sing that, may we bring our thankful hearts to God once more this morning, but may we also seek to bring others too. Maybe we can just consider our response to that question. Jesus, what can I give, what can I bring to so faithful a friend and to so loving a king? I'm just going to pray for us and then Martin kindly is going to come and lead our prayers for others. Thank you. Father, I also want to thank you, I think, for your faithfulness and your patience uh, and how you treat us, your people, with such kindness. Lord, help us to recognise all that we have received in you, in Christ. Help us to step up, just as Peter did many, many years ago, in order to share it with another person. Lord, rekindle, I pray, the joy of your spirit, the joy of salvation in each one of us this day. For in your name I pray. Amen.